You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, what we just read. And if we haven't met, as you turn there, my name is Jace Williamson. I'm one of the pastors here. Delighted uh, to be with you today. Uh, Like Griff said, uh, Mike is out the next two weeks. And he has foolishly or wisely, however you want to interpret that, uh, entrusted me uh, to speak uh, in the next two weeks, over the next two weeks. And uh, I just want to say on the forefront, um, we've started uh, the prayer rhythm uh, in our uh, services the last six weeks or so, two months or so. You may have noticed that shift. Uh, And I just want to let you know, um, it's my favorite part, other than Mike. Mike's not here. I can say it. but I'm just kidding. It's one of my favorite parts that, uh, of the service that we do because I feel like it's such a misdirection from the speed, the haste that sometimes we walk in here, give me my food, my content, and let's just walk back out. And I love the pause, I love the silence. And so if you're wondering why we do that, uh, it's because we want that to be a rhythm. We want it to be who we are as a church, that it may be even a little bit uncomfortable how much we're silent and how much we pray. Uh, And so that's for free. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. Actually, it does, prayer, right? But um, over the next two weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be chopping it up into two sections. Uh, we will cover one of the most familiar texts in all of the New Testament, maybe the whole Bible, uh, next week through the Lord's Prayer. But today, we're going to be talking about two things, how to pray and how not to pray. And one of the things that I want to bring to you as we begin is a simple statement. Everybody prays. Everybody prays, but not all prayers are equal. Christian therapist Gerald C. May said it this way, after 20 years of listening to the yearnings of people's hearts, I am convinced that human beings have an inborn desire for God. Whether we are consciously religious or not, this desire is our deepest longing and our most precious treasure. Now, you may hear that quote and you may disagree. That's fine, you can disagree. But let me, let me bring you a case study that may put what I just said and his quote into flesh. Okay, we all know that the year 2020 was one of the most saddest, divided, peculiar, however you adjective you want to throw into that year, just throw it there, okay? But we also know that the aftershocks of 2020 are still being studied, right? We will always look back at that year as like a seismic shift in our culture and our world. But one of the things that's coming out with the studies uh, that are being done on that year is uh, the one of the most interesting ones is through Google. And Google actually released that during isolation, during when the pandemic was surging, research found that people typed in prayer and how to pray 50% more worldwide. So as the pandemic surged, the most irreligious spaces of our world were Googling things like help and pray. 
in our modern time, when people feel hopelessness and anxiety arises and we can't doom scroll our way through it, we turn. We search for something beyond. And as Google would attest, we turn to prayer. Now, have you ever wondered why? And like I said, everybody prays, but every prayer is not equal. One in four people in the world prays the Lord Prayer each year on Easter alone. One person in every six bows towards Mecca up to five times a day. Crystals and tarot cards, ask your students that are in high school right now, are on the rise. People walk around with crystals and pray to crystals for good vibes nowadays. It's not spirituality, it's not to the corners, it's right in front of us. Humans have sought for a long time and in many ways to reach transcendence or at least communicate with it. Maybe you would agree with David G. Binner who said, uh, the soul's native language in which our natural posture is attentive openness to the divine. Now again, you may disagree with me because maybe your experience is you don't naturally pray. Or maybe you view prayer like you view the church. It's just something that's here. You believed in it when you were a kid. It's really good on special occasions. And there's, but there's probably a better way to solve my problems. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while and prayer is dull. It's transactional. It's a chore. It's this one-sided conversation with no intimacy. But here's the tension. Biblically, what I would believe, and I would think the Bible would push you to believe, is that the near universal phenomenon of prayer is not surprising. We bear God's image. We have been designed to reflect and relate to God. However, some of you are in this room that have lost faith in prayer, but the longing still remains. So what we do is we fill the void. We fill the void. Philip Yancey said this, Surely if we are made in God's image, God will find a way to fulfill that deepest longing. Prayer is that way. And luckily, around 2,000 years ago, before Google existed, Jesus' disciples said the same thing. Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at how Jesus instructs us to pray. And I don't know where you are. I threw a lot of different categories about where people are in prayer. But what I would hope is that you would bend your ear Maybe you're hopeless, maybe you're skeptic, maybe you're confused, maybe you're a cynic. Maybe you say, I've tried prayer and it didn't work. What Jesus is calling us to today is you used prayer, but I have a better way. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most critiqued seen sermons in all of history, pieces of literature in all of history. It's the ethical treatise that Jesus brought to his people. 
And at the center of the Sermon on the Mount is this idea of true spirituality. You may have at the top, if you have topics in your Bible, it may be saying like practicing righteousness, right? This is spirituality with flesh on. How do we live in the world? And so he's trying to get at what it means to truly walk with God and belong to his kingdom. And at the center of his sermon, Jesus addresses our prayer life. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus assumes his followers will have a life marked by prayer. Notice what he says, when you pray, the repetition, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. This is not if. This is not when you get around to it. Jesus assumes prayer and his life models it. So he doesn't begin with saying, okay, this is what prayer is. Let me talk you into kind of like a prayer life. He just assumes it. See, Jesus healed through prayer. He denounced corruption of the temple worship, which he called a house of prayer. He insisted that some demons could be cast out only through prayer. He intentionally took time to pray after long days of ministry and woke early in the morning to pray. He prayed often with cries and tears, sometimes all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying. When he faced his greatest crisis, he prayed. When he needed words, he prayed. And to put the cherry on top, some of the very last words he spoke on the cross as he was dying was a prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You could look at the life of Jesus and the pervasiveness of prayer is through his life and ministry. But I know what you're thinking. I know the cynic in here is going, okay, so this is just that Jesus did it, so I have to do it? It's, not a, it's a kind of a cop-out, right? Just Jesus did it. Let's close our Bibles. Let's go, right? But when Jesus is saying, when you pray, he is leading the way in a life marked by prayer. This is not an abstraction to him. And here's what I think the disconnect is so, is, is so strong for many of us. We miss Jesus' model of prayer, not just when he prayed, but how he prayed. Because at the center of Jesus' prayer life is a posture before God that motivates his prayer. And here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced of this because it's what I lived. That prayerlessness... Prayerlessness is the result of viewing ourselves too highly and God's love too lowly. We don't pray because we view ourselves as self-sufficient. It's very easy to be self-sufficient in our modern culture. Very easy. And the opposite way of saying this is we don't view ourselves as dependent. One, uh, one of the best names, uh, th- uh, theologians, his name is Ole Halsby. Great name, right? He wrote a whole book on prayer, and his one thesis was that to pray is to be helpless. He says this. He says, only he who is helpless can truly pray. You felt this. You felt when the bottom falls out of your life, but there's nowhere to turn, nowhere to grab. Where are you going? You're going up. Your words go naturally up. And Jesus' posture, when you think about his life, what I just read to you, was one of dependence and helplessness. But it's not out of a sense of something that he lacked. It was where he found life. 
He depended on the Father completely because, here's the other side of the coin, the Father loved him completely. You see, we don't pray because we have an improper view of God's love for us. Maybe you feel like you can't pray because God is like this distant father, distant judge that's going to judge you and smite you if you come into his presence. Maybe you don't pray because you don't know the words to say, the right Rubik's Cube of language to figure out how to pray to God. But Tyler Satan said it this way. I love this quote. He says, the great scandal and most important work of prayer is simply to let ourselves, let ourselves be loved by God. At the center of your prayer life should operate this idea of God loves me and he wants to commune with me. And I'm convinced that the reason Jesus prayed so much was that he had a proper view of himself, dependence upon God, and he he knew that God loved him, his father loved him. And it was out of the view of those two things that he sought the father regularly. You see, if prayer is just something you do to get things from God, or simply self-empowerment, which is the modern meditation movement, you will not pray. But if prayer is communication, it's response, it's all, it's intimacy, it's dependence, it's a need with a God who knows you and knows what you need, man, that's the posture. And I take time in this area because in our text today, Jesus is seeking out a posture for your prayer. When we pray is an assumed action for those who follow Jesus. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to spend time here getting to the foundation of the posture, the design of prayer. Because here's how this works. If we miss the posture, we corrupt the practice. If we miss the posture, we corrupt the practice. So what do we see? We see Jesus goes and gives us the posture in two negative statements, the do nots, and one positive, do this. So read in your Bibles, verse 5 and 6, it says this, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you go, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's Jesus' warning here? Well, Jesus is warning against a way of prayer that seeks the attention of other people. He says, do not pray as the hypocrites pray. Now, if we think about Christian culture as a whole, right, what is probably the one boundary that we have with people who say, you know, the church is not for me or Christianity is not for me, they would probably declare something along the lines of, well, I don't like hypocrites, right? I don't like when people are claiming to be one thing and they do another thing because that's what a hypocrite is, right? It's someone who says one thing on the outside but is another thing on the inside. Now, is Jesus condoning public prayer? Absolutely not. As as a pastor who's someone who prays regularly in front of people, this is actually a pretty scary verse for me, okay? (laughs) Because he, he's saying that there's a way, a prayerful hypocrite is someone who has nothing to say to God in private, but everything to say to God in public. And it's, this, it's for the purpose, the direction behind that is so that you can be liked and recognized for how holy and spiritual you are. 
You see, a posture of prayer that seeks the attention of others is missing the design of true prayer. And we can do this in a couple of ways. The first way we can do this is if you've ever been in a group of people, like maybe a community group or, or whenever, wherever you pray in front of people, and you go, you know, I'm just not a good prayer. Stumble over my words, say the same things over and over. Kind of introverted, just blame it on your personality a little bit. This is a, maybe, maybe that's legit. I'm not going to discount that. But maybe underneath those words is another way of saying, you know what, I really care what people think about me when I pray. And the other side is, is, the, is what we see here, right? Pronouncement in the street corners, being known for how holy you are and how, how uh, the language that you use is so good and so right with God. But when we think about the street corners as a whole, what is this? What is the street corners, the synagogues? This is the public square, right? This is where people would go to be known and seen. And you know, I was thinking about this in my own life and what I see is very pervasive in our culture and our church and wherever is how much we invest in the public space. Okay, we can do this all the time, right? We, we invest our ways, our life, into being perceived by others as being holy and righteous. We live in what's called by many that is in the age of the image. Okay, spirituality is what you project publicly because we project everything publicly. Yet we know that this image can be distorted. We can project this image of, look at me, look at what I'm doing, I'm really holy, right? And we build into this public space so much. Now, maybe you've heard the old adage of, like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, it doesn't make a sound, right? Well, the modern way of saying that is, if I do anything without broadcasting it, did it really happen? If I do anything without putting on my Instagram story, did it actually happen? You see, that account, the public account, is, 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 we need it. Evangelism, what we're doing now, this is the public account of, of proclaiming who Jesus is. But we can build into the public space so much that we forget as what Mark Sayers called the hidden bank account of spirituality. And you know what this is. You, you, you know, you feel this. It's questions like, who are you when no one is looking? What is your prayer life like when no one's there to nod and amen you? What is that sin that I am getting away with that no one really knows? It's like kind of in my back pocket here. And if I could just speak to the church for just a moment. FBCBA, if, if we proclaim a spotless image to our community, right? If we're if our website is slick, if our Instagram looks real good, we're known for a couple of things that's just like, man, they got it all together. But we have nobody on our knees in our prayer gatherings. If we have nobody on our knees in our community groups, if, if you don't have a space to pray and really pour out your heart to God in these hidden spaces, we are failing. We're failing. Because these hidden bank accounts, this is where renewal begins. In these hidden spaces, I am convinced that there's people in the world right now that you don't know, that you never will know, that in the kingdom of God, when we get to spend eternity with Jesus, will be, what, what you did what for the gospel? And we get to celebrate them because they spent time in these hidden bank accounts. 
And what Jesus wants, what Jesus wants more than your actions is your authenticity. What he desires more than your public pronouncements is your private petitions. Because here's, here's the, the crux of the matter, right? You cannot prove your worth by your quiet prayers in secret. You can't. Can't do it. Because there's a posture of prayer that seeks the recognition of everyone around you. But the contrast Jesus gives is that it's not for recognition, but for relationship. See, Jesus is speaking in contrast to those who have a very public prayer life without having a private prayer life. When you pray, Jesus says, go into the inner room. Go to the supply closet. Notice this space. It is one that's not particularly used even for company. Like you wouldn't bring people into this space. This was a specific place. And Jesus practiced this, practiced this all the time. Frederick Bruner says this about this. I'm going to quote this in length because it's so good. And he says it way better than I could. He says this. The supply room, that's how, he, that's how he interprets the inner room. The supply room was the only room in poor Palestinian farms that could be locked. In one sense, it was the least stankified place in the house. It was used to store feed, small animals, tools, and other supplies. But more important, this room's door can be locked. It could be private. And that is the supreme consideration. In a single sentence, Jesus revises the whole Old Testament culture. It is no longer the Holy of Holies that is the special meeting place between God and the believer. It's the room with a lock. Where is your locked room? Where is it? Because Jesus desires your private petition. Because what we do in the privacy of our closet when we're pouring out our heart to God has no bearing for recognition. It shows that prayer is not a chore. It shows that prayer is not transactional. Prayer is not for anything other than a relationship and experiencing that relationship. And the secret place, as Jesus would say, is one that is low, one that is real. It's not going to be publicized. And you feel this, right? You know this. This is, why, this is probably the most punchy thing I'll say all day. But Jonathan Edwards talks about this idea says that the only thing that you don't do for show in the Christian life is secret prayer. Everything else someone sees, the way that you worship and lift your hands today, that can be seen to be recognized, or that can be done to be recognized, right? What I'm doing right now can be done in a corrupt manner to say, wow, look how holy Jace is. But the only thing, the only thing, the acid test of hypocrisy is are you on your knees in a secret place? Before your God. I have a couple kids, right? I have two daughters, and we have a foster son named Zaylor. And, you know, I think about the ways that I was impacted by my parents. My parents were in the first service, and I told them it was kind of awkward to, like, talk good about them in the same service. But I said I'm going to speak poorly about them in the second service, so we'll even it out, right? Uh, just kidding. But one of the things that really impacted me as a child was to see that the same mom and dad that were in front of people proclaiming Christ as their Lord were the same people in the confines of our house serving the same Lord. I think about times when I was in high school and middle school and I was driving. If you know my mom, you've probably asked her to pray for you. 
But I think about times where she would drive me to school and she would pray the whole time. You know, it, like we drove, you know, east, so the sun was in our eyes, so, so my eyes, so I would just act like I was asleep or, you know, praying with my eyes closed. But, you know, sun's in your eyes. But I think about that because my mom wasn't doing that to be seen and recognized. She wasn't doing that so she could be like, no, go tell all your friends I prayed for you. This is simply because she loved Jesus. And here's the rub with my kids. I could care less at the end of my ministry. I'm old and gray. If people go, man, you are a really great preacher. If my kids look at me and go, he didn't love Jesus. He loved people. He loved praise. I hope and pray that my kids see evidence, see evidence that the person off the stage matters much more than the person on. And if you, if you have children, one of the reasons that I believe that we struggle with passing on our faith to the next generation is because it's not real at home. It's not real. We come here, we play a game, but it has no bearing on our real and daily lives. You know what would make a huge, huge impact? You get up in the early mornings. You're on your knees. Your kids come in and they see you maybe, maybe not. But it's just out of your love for the Lord. You see, this is what prayer is for. That is where your father is. What is the reward? It's the father. Quoting Psalm 81, John Stark says this again. Prayer is the daily habit of opening your mouth wide for the fullness of God. Is your mouth open? And secondly, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites, but when you go, when you pray, go to the secret place, and and Jesus brings another group into play here, the babblers, the empty phrase people, right? Verse 7 and 8, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So here Jesus is grouping those whose posture of prayer coming to God is muchness. No, that's not a very good English word, but he's trying to get the point of like saying a lot of things to get God's attention. It's hard work, right? He's attacking a pagan belief that there has to be a lot of prayer before it works. So if the pagan rule is much, Jesus' rule is not much. And we do this in religious circles all the time, right? Saying the same prayer over and over and over so God will hear you. Some, some uh, pieces of religion do this, right? But in fact, next week, we're going to see that Jesus teaches us to pray just using 31 words in the original language, the Lord's Prayer. And so what Jesus is prodding here is Jesus is after simple and authentic prayers, Jesus warns against babbling, he warns against empty phrases, he warns against meaningless repetition. 
And it's such a great word to describe what's happening because one of the main ideas behind this is that the longer the prayer, the more filler words you use, the more the gods would pay attention, right? And you have to prove your sincerity through the useless babbling. It's not even saying anything. It's not that we, you know, say a lot of words, right? It's this idea of like, man, I guess you got to talk and talk and talk and talk and then maybe the gods will hear me. But here's how this plays out for us. The posture here is sincerity, right? So ask yourself, are, am I honest with God? Are you trying to use religious language or are you saying honest, truthful words? One of my favorite quotes, came, I can't remember what book it was in, but he said something along the lines, God is too real to meet you any other place than reality. He doesn't want this fake version of what's going on in your life. He doesn't want this hidden version of your true problems. He wants you. And Anne Lamott uh, wrote a controversial book on prayer in which she said that the only three prayers you will need are help, thanks, and wow. Now, I would add confession in there just to let you know. Like, I mean, that's why it's controversial. But isn't that such a good framework for how we think sometimes? And whether you agree with it or not, her words are worth quoting here. Think about this. This is what she says. My belief is that when you're telling the truth, you're close to God. If you say to God, I'm exhausted and depressed beyond words, and I don't like you at all right now, and I recoil from most people who believe in you, that might be the most honest thing you've ever said. If you told me that you had said to God, it's all hopeless, and I don't have a clue if you exist, but I could use a hand, it would almost bring tears to my eyes, tears of pride in you for the courage it takes to get real, really real. Now, you could I disagree or agree with that. But here's what I know. When I read the Psalms, I read people that are very honest with God. I read people that say, you know what's been my food the last couple nights? My tears. When I, I read people that say, you know what? God, when are you going to start paying attention to me because it's been a while? Honesty matters. God doesn't want your religious babble. He doesn't want your inauthentic words. He wants you. And you know why you can be honest with God? Because one of the best verses in Scripture is the next one. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I wish I knew what my kids needed before they asked. I wish. But your Father does. Are you depressed? Are you angry? Are you grieved? Are you tired? Are you doubting? Your father knows. Our father is not a reluctant listener. He doesn't make you say all these empty phrases and all these words that you don't know. You can come straight to him and say, this is the heart of the problem. So think about this, okay, not much, right, this idea of, hey, come to the Father with simplicity. Bruner says this, he says, not much frees us from the amount of time we think we have to spend in prayer in order to get through. And he knows, our Father knows, frees us from the amount of information we think we have to give before we are understood. Much is not the mediator, Jesus is. And let me go a, 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 a step further than that. 
The Bible would proclaim in Romans chapter 8 that if all you have to give to God are your groanings, your moans, the Spirit of God can interpret. Sometimes the most honest prayer is one where you're screaming. Here's the posture of prayer that Jesus desires for you that leads you to the true purpose of prayer. Because as we've walked through the don'ts, what have we seen? Both of these warnings miss the design. It's not for you to be recognized, and it's not for you to work real hard so God can recognize you. One of the main things that I hear from students about prayer is that when they say things like this, prayer didn't work for me, Jace. But oftentimes when we say those words, what we're actually meaning when we say prayer doesn't work, it means that we didn't get the thing that we asked for. If prayer is about getting anything other than God, we have missed the point. But here's what's so scandalous about prayer is when we seek God, he gives us what we need. So it's not, we don't, we're not taken out of it. And when we talk about prayer at FBCVA, one of the things that we hope to, to, to burn into your brains is this idea of aligning our will with God's will. Because what is so radical about prayer is that the more you come to God, the more you will begin to desire the things he desires. And here is what Jesus challenges us with, that you miss the posture, you'll miss the purpose, and you'll corrupt the practice. Because the posture is one of authenticity, it's one of dependence, and it's one of simplicity. So if the purpose of prayer is personal, dependent, communicative response with God, why would I go anywhere else for my recognition? If prayer is about a relationship with God and he knows what we need, why do I have to babble? You don't. So one of the things that I like to do within my teaching is how would you teach this to your kids? How, how would you put this in a way and package it in a way that you could understand and unpack this to them? Okay, there's three things, okay? The posture is this. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. This is from Pete Gregg's book on how to pray. Why would we keep it simple? Well, we keep it simple because the most natural thing we do is given to us in the most simple of avenues. A private place with real words. That isn't complicated. And this doesn't mean that we can't pray for a long time. This doesn't mean that we can't use things like liturgy to help us and give an architecture to our prayers. That's what that's for. But keep it simple. And secondly, we keep it real because when life hurts, you're going to be tempted to pretend that you're fine. You're going to be tempted to believe that when you sin, you need to hide One of the things that I've learned through prayer, it's almost like you have to start over every day. It's this idea of like, man, I woke up and I want to master the day by myself. But prayer always means submission. Tyler Staten says it this way, to pray is to willingly put ourselves in the unguarded, exposed position There is no climb, there is no control, there is no mastery, there's only humility and hope. So we keep it real. And lastly, 
we keep it up. Because life is hard. The battle is fierce. And the Lord knows what you need. Very practically, if I could you know, teach you in just a few moments, if you're very intimidated by the idea of prayer, one of the best pieces of advice is this. Pray as you can. Don't pray as you can't. What does that mean? Okay, any runners in here? No, you haven't ran in a while? Don't try to run a marathon tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, if you, if you, if, if you don't pray for five minutes, pray for two minutes on your knees. Pray as you can. Don't pray as you can't. But keep it up. One of the questions you can ask yourself is, where is my closet? Even revealing where my closet is to you guys would tell you something like I don't want you to know. <laughs> it would reveal an intimate space that I feel is reserved for me and the Father. But I know where it is. Where is your closet? Is it your car when you're driving to work? Is it the breakfast nook? Is it your office? And what we're going to talk about next week is the practice of prayer through the Lord's Prayer. But let me just say this. If prayer is a response to God, how do we know God? God's Word. If you aren't using God's Word to pray, you're missing a whole dimension to how we communicate with the Father. Pray with your Bible open. Respond to the Word and pray through the Word. As we end, I want to tell you a story. A couple years ago, we went on a mission trip to Dominican Republic, and we were serving this church that was in the middle of the city. Uh, and the pastor there, Pastor Jose, had been there for several decades. And uh, he told a story about when he got there that, you know, there was a lot of strip clubs, there was prostitutes, there was gangs, there was witches, there was poverty all around him. Uh, but he stayed and I asked him, and, I, and, you know, his church was small. It was like under 30 people, under, you know, 25 people. And I asked him, I was like, well, what did you do? And I had, you know, translator, and he literally just said, pray. <laughs> pray. And I, like, laughed. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. But, yeah, like, you know, what was the tricks? You know, like, how did you, how, what was the resilient nature? He said, Pray. And through God's grace, through his years, the surrounding area got much better. And when we would go into the houses to evangelize and tell people how they could be discipled through this church and, and how and the church, they knew that the church was there. They knew Pastor Jose. But one of the last nights we were there, we were driving from the bus, from our hotel to the bus, and we get off the bus. I was the first one there just to make sure everybody was there. And I, I walked into the church, and the church had bars on it because of the poverty and the crime around it. And I saw Pastor Jose, I brought this picture with me, I think, boom. And I saw Pastor Jose. And I realized the irony of me taking a picture and showing you. But here's a man on a dirty floor with his elbows on a plastic chair, desperate for God to move. Church. This has to be our posture. And that starts collectively by it being your posture. Because our posture is this. Because the, the insanity of prayer is that we have a God who hears us. 
And it's not through the loudness. It's not through our babbling. It's not through our religious language. It's when we're in the secret low places where no one sees. John Stark says it this way, and I'm going to end with this quote because it's so good. He says, here is the mystery that we should all taste and see. Other religions create programs for men and women to purify themselves, to be worthy enough, or to be one of the divine. We must transcend our existence, they tell us, to be with God, to reach God, to be worthy of God. We must put off our flesh, our humanity, our weakness, our passions, and reach for God. And if we are elite and spiritual enough, God reaches back. But Jesus is the God who came down, who, condes- who condescended to be with us. He put on our flesh, our humanity, our weakness, and took hold of us. He experienced our humanity that we might experience his glory. If there's any encouragement that I give to you today is that we have a Savior that can identify with you and not just identify with you. He came to die for you to make it possible to reconcile to the Father. You have a Father who knows your needs, no need to babble. You have a Father who is in the quiet place, no need to pronounce loudly, and maybe it's time today that you're really honest with God about where you are, that all this is a religious charade to you, and I know for a fact that it is a tiring place to be. What What we're invited into is we're invited into this quiet place where the Father sees and knows And we worship Jesus as the mediator, that we can be honest with our Father. And so here's what I want to do to end. I would love for you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to know, like, this can be your closet right now. Like, this moment can be your closet. This is not about saying the right things, doing the right things. This is not about some religious language that we have to put on to seek God so he can hear us. Maybe today is a day that as we talk about Jesus and his work for us, today is the day that you confess your need for him. And you've heard the gospel over and over and over, but there's no relationship. Maybe today is the day that you're honest with God about your doubt. Maybe today is you're honest with God about your control issues. Maybe underneath it all, you're you're angry. Like, you didn't get something that you asked for, so you kind of just went your own way to control your own life. I don't know your circumstance, but I tell you who does, the Father. He knows what you need before you ask. So maybe one we sing in just a moment, maybe this is your time to just sit. Or maybe when we sing, this is your prayer. It's the prayer that you're giving to God. What the, what the Lord desires from you is honesty. 
and he hears and he's near. So we're gonna sing just a moment. But I don't encourage you. Run to the Father for he knows what you need. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. We thank you that you are a God that hears us, knows the prayer before we're gonna ask. I pray for this, uh, the, the people in this room that are struggling with this idea of prayer. Whether it's their struggle with whether or not God loves them. Or whether it's just the habit of self-sufficiency. I pray that we would be a people that would run to the quiet place, the secret place, because that's where you are. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.